Welcome to FoxCast Physical Therapy, a podcast for clinicians made by clinicians. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Find out more at foxrehab.org. Here with Lonnie Stewart here at ELC Education and Leadership Conference. Conference. What happens here? How do you best describe what this conference does? A lot of conferences in in our profession and in healthcare, but what's this one do? What's this one for? How do you put it? I like to put it that this conference has probably the most passionate, vocal people in the profession in one contained area, and it can really ignite some passionate discussions. It's yeah. I'm only in my third year as being a director of clinical education at Columbia University. I share that with Dr. Colleen Bruff. My first year here, there were some debates on things that I that scared me. <laughs> in a good way, because they were so passionate about totally, it. Okay, yes. I wanted to make sure. I just kept my mouth shut, yeah. And I was like, I need to learn. So who's here? Directors of clinical education? Directors chairs? of clinical education, um, clinicians, chairs of programs, DCEs and chairs of programs, site coordinators. So everybody in and around education, clinical yeah. education, the leaders. If you're educating PTs, you're here. Two-day conference here, as we mentioned, in Bellevue, Washington, and uh, you get a chance to speak. So you and I, this both New my, Yorkers. This is my first time speaking at a national conference. So yeah. And part of the reason for that is the consortium that I belong to is the New York, New Jersey Consortium of Physical Therapy Clinical Educators. Okay. <laughs> I think I got it right. We name things real long, but <laughs> well, I like that's it. That's a really long one. The whole point of what we're talking about today is how the New York, New Jersey Consortium, which one, you have to understand that there there are 26 PT, PTA programs in New York State, New Jersey, that really? area. And there's a, you know, there's a big condensed area around Manhattan and the metropolitan area, but it also includes rural areas in upstate New York. And so it's not just the metro area. It's no, the it's not. Of New York, New no, Jersey. it's all of us. Got so it. we have a very collaborative way of working and we include the clinical educators in that process. And someone came up to us and said, this is actually kind of unique, so you should present on it. Yeah, well, just just hearing that, you go from New York City, which yeah. is an ultimate urban area, which Oof. poses its own issues in terms of education, and then you can go to upstate New York, where I'm from, and you can be exactly. really, really rural. Vast so, distances. Yeah. What are some of the different unique challenges that you can see from Buffalo, near Canada, to New York City, to New Jersey? One, communication. Yeah. And then two, from the academic side, placing your students in clinical sites that are in, in the metropolitan area. Being at Columbia University, we have students from all over the United States. And so we there's a big push to get students out of the area, if we can. Many of them want to. And we have you know good relationships around the United States and Australia and other places. So placing is the concern. And then how we act directly affects our clinical partners. So there's the March 1st mailer, which they get deluged with these tons of emails. And it's not nice. You know, How do you handle that much information? So the March 1st mailer is, yeah. is the programs reaching out to sites and saying, here's what we're looking for right, this year. We all agree to say, you know, hey, on March 1st, we'll all send out and say, hey, can you give us spots for the next? year for different rotations of students that's let's like a it's just a can you imagine the bottleneck of numbers because each site is getting probably asked by multiple programs yeah and now how this plays out over over the united states is also concerned because i've got students from boston and new england consortium has a real grip on sites that are up there no offense to them that's just how they handle it and so our ability to send students into inpatient rotations up there is limited we have a inpatient requirement for our students they have to do one clinical education experience 
in an inpatient environment. And it could be any number of things, inpatient rehab, acute care, skilled nursing facilities. Southern California, where we, strangely enough, get a lot of students, that's another area that's very difficult for us to send students to inpatient. So, you know, we tell them up front where the difficulties are and what to expect. Um, And again, I'm not trying to malign any consortia. I'm just saying this is how it works. This is how it is. Yeah, it's how it works. And then then I'm going to just say briefly that our consortium is generally very open. So, for instance, our biggest clinical partners, New York Presbyterian and Weill Cornell, they they take students from all over the country. What are the different ways that you guys let students try to select or give input <clears throat> for their process? How does that work? Because it's different, I feel like, every program. Every program's different, yeah. So when I went to school, it was a, a, a lottery. Yeah, so I hear that a lot. Yep. We tend to, it's different for each uh, rotation that we do, but we take into consideration the, stu- the student will make a wish list. We take into consideration their, their top spots. We try to fit them in their top five. But we also take a look at whether it's actually a good fit or not. Because sending a student to a place where I know they're going to use a Socratic method and question them on the spot right in front of the patient, you know, can that student handle that? And that's No so, one's going to benefit. Student, no, absolutely site, not. patient, no one's going to benefit. Right. So we take a look at like what the culture is and does that student sort of fit the culture? How do you guys do that? Site visits? Oh, Relationship yeah. building? Yeah, we do yeah. all of that. All of the above. So, and then the students giving us feedback on what the experience was like. And of course, right, the next variable is the clinical instructor. It's going to change. Exactly. I have no idea. And that clinical instructor may be forced to take a student. I don't know. Or they might be really good at teaching and really interested in that. We allow them to make a list. And then we try and then we place from there. So it's like a, it could be two, three day process where we we go through the lists. It's like NFL draft day. It's a little bit of Tetris. Can people trade, can people trade draft, can people trade draft spots? (laughs) That would be great. That's a great idea. Totally. No, you Type cannot. A stu- uh, PT students, I could totally <laughs> see that. that? If you gave them that option, they'd be trading stuff. Um, so what do you get to talk about? What, what are you educating the audience or what are you taking a look Today at? Today we here? talk about um, how the consortium works and how we are collaborative and we mentor each other. And I'm speaking from my perspective, how I move from the clinic to the academic setting. There's a quantum leap from being I was a senior PT at the Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation in West Orange, New Jersey, where there was a good culture of education. So I was expected to have two or three students a year. Um, and as I rose up the ranks as senior PT, I'd be mentoring other clinicians. Uh, I might be involved in quality initiatives. I might have to publish something. That was expected. So that, that was a really good culture to come from. But going from two to three students a year to managing 200 students and their and the, the arc of their clinical education is just like a, a quantum leap in unfathomableness <laughs> with their personalities and their oh skills my. and where I they like manage to go. personalities DCEs manage personalities so not only students but clinical instructors and psych, psych coordinators as well and ourselves and other educators you're the PR directors of, of, of physical therapy right I mean <laughs> PR directors it's it's about building a relationship with the public yes your public are students and psych coordinators and all the people that come into play but it is public relations it would be so easy for people to spin but it would be recognized very quickly right. as being two-faced and, and that's so good, yeah. yeah and I've good. I've seen it before so I have a responsibility to the students to the university and also to the site can't burn that bridge no you keep that relationship exactly and I have to manage that as well but be as genuine as possible to let so people don't think I'm trying to pull something over on yeah. somebody in terms of consortiums this is the first i've ever even heard about these yeah um is every location geographically in one so or i'm how still structure? learning there are there are regions of the united states that have separate consortia so there is uh i can't name them all right right 
but there's New York, New Jersey, then there's a New England, and uh, and then you go south and west, and there, there are a handful more. Yeah. And, then who, and then some cover vast regions, like sure, Midwest. Uh, what is it? Yes. Uh, is it uh, Utah, Utah, and Nevada? And, you know, the programs just logistically are way, way apart from one another. Right. And the goal really is to organize and work together to place? I would think so. So at the moment, there's really no goal. And in fact, that's what the NCCE, I, please, I don't remember, the National... <laughs> Consortium of Clinical Educators, there I got you it. it. You got it. Um, <laughs> is starting a discussion. Like, right. so we have these consortia that emerged. We never really quite organized it. What sh- how could we use this to our benefit? Right. We're grouped. And I feel, yes, right, exactly. And the model we use, the tendency could be to become really protective. Like, we could clamp down on the New York Presbyterian model and so there are multiple ours. hospitals. That's, that's ours. ours, nobody else. Right. Yeah. That's not going to help. It's not going to help. And not only, so I, for instance, uh, Nikki Silberman is the the director of clinical education at Hunter College. They don't have a major medical center associated with them. And there are other programs like that. So to shut down in the most prized, right, inpatient, yeah, it would cripple. So it doesn't behoove us to do that. Now, this is not to talk about the inner workings of the hierarchy in the hospital that say you should be preferentially taking Columbia students. That's going to happen, whatever. But it's an open, we keep it open. I think it benefits everybody because it allows us to go other places too. And it also recognizes that students come from all over the country. And so when when we have difficulty placing a student in in Boston, it's usually because they live there, they want to you know work there, that sort of thing. So the benefit of having something open would really benefit the student and the site because that student is going to be returning there. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. What's the what do you foresee in the future in terms of defining now? Now that you have people grouped, which is usually the hard part, is yeah. getting people together. You yeah. got them together, right? Uh, what's coming in the future of defining goals for consortia? That's in the process right now. Donna Applebaum is leading that group, and she said, you know, there's no, there's no end game. We just want to figure out how to move forward appropriately. And so one of those first steps will be our consortium presenting today, which is actually kind of cool, because I don't know how the other consortia work. Yeah. I'm still learning in this process, so I always, sometimes it's difficult to be a flexible learner because you're dumb at something. So right. <laughs> you got to just accept that and like be open and, and learn. And I think that's one of the great things about this profession, Yeah, constantly learning. Yeah, That's I, a great thing. Th- this goes along to, with the keynote in terms of look at all these different connections. Yes. Uh, the keynote this morning was, was citing uh, her work in uh, doing her PhD in the airline industry all the different stakeholders and they all have different views and when you put those and of course she used that popular s word that we always use which is silos but that's the way it is and how do you how do you take a look from each one of those vantage points and figure out how can i help you yeah i lead with helping i'll get helped in the end let's talk silo for a second because i am part of columbia university irving medical center it's like one of one of the first huge academic medical centers in the united states we've got ptot speech MD program, nursing, nutrition, like that would be a no-brainer, right? But it is super siloed because interprofessionalism, we're all focused on our own thing. So that's like that's like that engine on a cold morning with a carburetor. It's like it's still revving up. We use that term a lot. But the potential is really like nobody, phenomenal. Right. Nobody doubts or underplays the potential for what would happen if interprofessional communication really worked or interprofessional yeah. work uh, were to happen. It's how... But I will also say that I was involved in, I had the, we, the, we have an interprofessional education day up at Columbia, and uh, I had the privilege of going into the MD simulation rooms with uh, the, the uh, Beth Barron, who's uh, a doctor at the Allen Hospital uh, in the NYP system, and she, she and I collaborated, 
And the students went in there and the MD student said, well, I'm going to have you talk to my talk to the physical therapist on the team because they're more the experts in movement. And I was like, get out of town. Wow. That was really sweet. I feel like we talk a lot about how X, Y, or Z practitioner doesn't know what we do. So to hear that, yeah. that's got to feel great. Yeah, the MD student said, look, from a medical perspective, your blood work is really good, but I understand you have some problems moving around and et cetera. So I want the PT to speak to that. Yeah, medically well, yeah. but maybe functionally sick. Precisely. So let's get no, the function it was a, it was a great here. moment. That's I was great. like, all right, right on. All right. So um, I'll throw this future question at you. Okay. Where do you where do you see clinical education going? Areas of improvement that you really hope would happen in the next five to ten years? That's a tough question because I'm still formulating some ideas on that. But I see sort of an open exchange across the United States that really kind of opens up the flow of students going in and out of different states. Um, there are there's also something called um, the SARA laws. It's about educational institutions sending students to other states where they have different legal issues. Sort of knocking down the borders for students to go across state lines and learn, and also knocking down borders for consortia feeling that they have to protect their areas instead of opening them up and also exchanging students into our areas. Like, let's open up the U.S. to you know a full PT experience learning experience. Also, you know, going to different areas has the added benefit of really understanding America as like a big system in general. You want to talk about a silo? Just think <laughs> everybody in the country is just like you and your neighbors. And oh, you yeah. Are wrong. Oh, my God. Yes. Uh, so sidetrack, my 16-year-old daughter went down the Dominican Republic on a sort of a, a medical mission for teenagers where she was allowed to do stuff like you never would do here. But anyway, she met, she met people from Texas. She met people from the Midwest. She met, and they, it was an amazing experience because she heard a lot of different opinions that were just kind of so different from the echo chamber in in you know our our corner of the world what else are we missing what else what other things uh, did you want to get into anything particular <sighs> you and i first touch base because i'm i'm the director of a group of older adults that live in greenwich village and they're familiar with something called the village concept which is older adults who want to age in place but they don't know how to do it by themselves and so they sort of come together they form social groups um, they get people to, they, you know, find handymen to do work for them, which in New York you might not need to do because you might have a doorman and a whole group of people that could do right. small jobs for you. My feeling is, and my dissertation work is on, I feel like if, the, if you want to retire, New York City should be one of the best places to do that because we basically all are on assisted living. Um, if I wanted to, I'd get someone to pick up my laundry and go get it done. Now, I have to have the money to do that, right. but the services within a five-block radius for me are all right there. Yeah, It's kind of amazing. So if you have limited mobility, you still can be okay as long as there is good walkability in right. your neighborhood. Yeah. I, I, like, love the, uh, I love the fact that that phrase is said so often, it takes a village. Yes. And then people are actually using a village concept, even yeah. in a place that's not seen as a village. That's right. New York City, but yeah. the village is the village. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Where can people find information? Where are you in the in the process? We are at uh, we have a website n two n greenwichvillage dot org n two n greenwichvillage dot org. Yeah, people can find more. All information. one word. Yes. Last thing we do on the show I'm is I'm not prepared for this, but go ahead. All right, your foxtail. Why did you decide to work with older adults? Why did you decide to pick oh. older adults as that? Project yeah, 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 yeah. Focus? So I was I was working in inpatient rehab, and I realized all my friends were going for their uh, neurological clinical specialty. Uh, I realized that the people I was working with were all over the age of fifty and all had sort of concerns that had to do with aging. And I said, you know, I want to go back in my community at some point, and I think working in geriatrics is the way to go. 
also it's the greatest area for growth right now. Yeah. People 80 years old and older, that's the greatest area of growth because nobody was in that bucket to begin with. And now we've got millions of people. Yeah. My brothers well. and sisters are baby boomers. I'm the baby in the family. So I'm kind of intuned into that. Yeah, we're looking ahead and saying, "Uh uh-oh, we're underprepared. Totally. But but PT's in a great spot to slide in and say, Very much so. We can provide so much Very easily, yes. Uh, Last thing we do now is the uh, parting shot. Okay. Parting shot, mic drop moment. What's the thing you'd want the audience (laughs) to take home? Or what's the thing you're always, because you're an educator, um, what's the thing you're always imparting in students to pay attention to? I always tell my students, well, one, I always tell them, you never have to apologize for for looking good. Okay, okay. I like it. So show up and look good. And then two... <laughs> more and more, uh, because of what I deal with as a director of clinical education, is uh, I, I try to teach them, will you please be a human being? Like, you need to have an idea of what the other person is thinking, develop a relationship with them if you want to get through your clinical experience, and, you know, be a nice person. Hey, is there anything else I can do? Uh, and seek that feedback. Like, how do you feel I did there? You also got to be able to take it, but can we all just be human beings for a moment? Love that. That's a mic drop moment right, all right there. All right, thank you. Lonnie, appreciate your time. <laughs> really appreciate it. Nailed it. Thanks for listening to FoxCast PT. It's brought to you by Fox Rehabilitation. Fox clinicians work hard, love their work, and get the respect they deserve. Sound good? Then you'll love the autonomy to work in your own style and the support you get to achieve excellence. Plus, freedom and flexibility to have a personal life. Whether it's your first day or you've been around for a while, your contribution is acknowledged and rewarded. That's what makes Fox a success. Happy, well-trained clinicians make great healthcare. Are you a fit for Fox? Find out now at foxrehab.org.